0: Bible, and we're going to jump into 2 Kings. It's the 12th book. You will need a Bible. If you, if you don't have one, you know they're on the back, uh, or you can uh, look, find one on your phone. Doesn't matter how you do it, but you're going to need one today, uh, as always, as we work through this. So um, the focus of what we're talking about is something that I'm familiar with. This is a powerful story. It's one I love, so I'm pretty excited to talk through it and share it with you. But as you know, the story is a story of God. So just again, some of you have been here faithfully and you've heard this repeatedly, which is cool, because that means that you're getting it in your head really well and you'll be able to tell the story of the Bible before all this is done. But it started before creation with God who created all things, including Adam and Eve. Uh, but Adam and Eve chose for themselves their own kingdom to rule their own way. Uh, to choose to be their own boss, so to speak, not to submit to the leadership of the Lord and the worship of the Lord. And as a result, sin entered the world, death entered the world. And God made a promise to Eve that a child from her uh, body, her own body, one of her own children, eventually would be The one who would deliver them from that, who would set the people of God free, that would redeem humanity, redeem all creation, in fact. And so we've been following the thread as God leads us towards that person or that child. It went through Cain and Abel. It went through uh, a time of a great flood when he protected that seed through Noah. We went through uh, Abraham as it went and carried on down. And you can follow all this in your Bible. You can go back and read it in Genesis. Through Abraham Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons who became the nation of Israel. Uh, then that nation, that big family nation, begins to be the centerpiece of what God is doing. He's working through that particular family. It's a big family, a nation of a family. But in particular of all 12 tribes, the tribe of Judah has begun to get identified. And we haven't focused a lot on that, a little bit in the past, but that's the case. The people of Israel, as they become a nation, uh, they've been released from the bondage of slavery in Egypt and brought to uh, the place, the land that's their own. And they're given this land and they're sitting in this land and in the care of judges These judges that are ruling and leading and directing them. And they go through this cycle of repenting and sinning and repenting and sinning and repenting and sinning. And judgment coming on them from God. And sometimes they just straight reap what they sow. There's just all this kind of discord going on in the land. They want a king. Uh, They choose for themselves Saul. It goes wrong. It's not great. It's not bad. It's not good. There are some good things. But overall, it's a poor choice. God knows this. God had chosen David. God puts David in as king. And then we entered this time of Kings. And your Bible uh, has a couple of books right in the middle. First, Chron- First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings. Those two books actually cover majority of the Old Testament. They're historical books. So they parallel each other. So you can read them side by side. Some of them say the exact same things. Kind of like the Gospels. The four Gospels tell the story of Jesus in different ways. Well, these do the same thing in the Old Testament, and they record this history. And so we talked about kings and this time of kings. But there were also these people that spoke alongside the kings, prophets. Because they didn't have, like, you couldn't go to the bookstore and get a Bible. You couldn't go to the back table and get a Bible. You couldn't, you know, open your phone and have a Bible, obviously. There was one set of scrolls, typically, they were in the temple. Sometimes they were copying them, but for the most part, you didn't really have access to it. So the person who spoke for God was a prophet. And I'm going to say this repeatedly as we talk through the prophets over the next several weeks, but just so you know, a prophet was not a fortune teller. A prophet was not what a modern uh, prophet looks like. And and, And I'm not getting into a big spill on that, except to say, almost every time, I really can't think of an exception. Prophets had one message. All of them. At the core, they had one message, and it was one word. You know what it was? repent 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 it was never that maserati you've been dreaming about is going to be yours the lord showed me it was never that it was never that swimming pool you've been begging to see happen it was never any of that it was always repent repent okay so if you got a modern day prophet that's saying repent cool cool most of them don't say that but anyway so we're into that talk Josh talked a little last week about probably the most famous of the prophets, Elijah. Elijah had a disciple who conveniently is Elisha with an S instead of a J. So their names are really close, which makes it kind of confusing when you talk about it. But we're going to look today at an event in the life of Elisha, who was the disciple of Elijah. Okay? Still a prophet. Most definitely. So... Today is how to wash off death. And I know that sounds wild. We'll look at it. So look at 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we are today. 12th book of the Bible, chapter 5. We're going to cover this one. Verse 1. Let me read this really quick. It says, Naaman, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but... He was a leper. Let me pray. Lord, your word is awesome. As always, I kneel to it. It is the ultimate authority. Lord, it is above the authority of all people, of all man. It's above the authority of any building or any establishment or any place on earth or any place in the universe. Lord, it's your word. And I submit to that. Lord, I pray you preach today what your word has to say. Put your word in my mouth, not the other way around. And uh, Lord, as I say every week, and I mean it, I'm here to learn. And I pray that you teach as well to me. In Christ's name, amen. So a couple of weeks ago, we had some friends in town. Um, you guys probably met them, James and Tracy. They've been here several times. And they brought their daughter, uh, Jenna. We hadn't seen her in a while. She's 15. And while they were here, believe me, we did some shopping. I can promise you that. So Jenna being 15, she loves to shop. So we went and roamed around and looked at some different places. And shoes came up more times than once. I can tell you that. And I still have a pair of Doc Martens boots, if you know what those are, that I bought in the 90s. There we go. In the 90s. I still have the pair to this day. And it was funny because with Jenna, we went and we shopped for Doc Martens because they're all, they've come all the way back around again and they're super popular again. And I love, I love those shoes. But, uh, I'm also keenly aware that shoes are, are usually the one thing in the wardrobe That we tend to be most worried about because it's not about do we have shoes or not have shoes It's about we buy a new pair of shoes a great perfect new pair of shoes We want everybody to see those new pair of shoes, but what are we most afraid of? Yep The dirt right the moment when you get that first mark that first scuff that first like dirt on it and and then ultimately over time like it or not, they tend to get dirty. But once you get the first mark, then you almost breathe this. You're frustrated, but you're also like, okay, well now I can, you know, I can get. I don't have to panic so much about it. And then they go on and get dirtier and dingier until ultimately buy new ones, and the struggle begins all over again. Uh, but there's a huge difference between dirty shoes and a dirty soul. Huge difference between dirty shoes and a dirty. You can't just wash uh, a soul off. Uh, you can't just remove the scuff off of a soul. You can't just throw a soul away and get a new one. So today we're going to look at what happens when God addresses that exact issue. Here's your one line. It's on the paper back there if you got it. If you don't, you can get it on the way out or whatever. But salvation uh, from death, it comes from the word of God through the people of God when we act by faith on what seems impossible. Okay? Salvation from death comes from the word of God through the people of God when we act on faith by what seems impossible. Look at verse 1. Let's go through it really quick. Naaman, commander of the army of Syria. So this is, this is not a small guy in history. This is a big dude. Syria, same Syria. Same Syria that's there today. Was a great man with his master in high favor. High favor means honorable. So what do you think this guy's character was like? Even though he's a warrior, even though he's a Syrian warrior, uh this, this is implying he had some good character. He was honorable with, with the king of his country. Because, why? Because by him the Lord had given victory. That word victory is salvation. Given salvation to Syria. He was mighty, a man of valor. That means he was a hero. He probably had great strength and great wealth and all that too. But he was a leper. Now, leper can just mean a skin disease of any kind. But we're most familiar with leprosy, and I believe that's what's going on here, and you'll see why. But leprosy was a disease that is pretty horrific. It kills you, it causes you to rot in a, in a shortened to the point. And, uh, appendages begin to rot, fall. It's, it's, a, it's a grotesque. If you Google and look there, cause there's modern day leprosy. If you Google and look, it's a, it's a gruesome disease, and it is terminal. So, Verse 2 says, Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. So this girl's been scooped up and taken as a as a slave, and she's in Naaman's house working for the wife of Naaman. Um, think about the sovereignty here. Think about the sovereignty here, the plan of God. Working through all of this. Even in the Old Testament. God cared for all people. We tend to think. Well God was only about Israel in the Old Testament. And that's just not true. That's just not true. Even in the Old Testament. He cared about all people. Here's these Syrian people. Who had been raiding the people of Israel. God had been using them. Did you see what it said? It said by him. The Lord had given salvation. Or, or victory they translate. But salvation to Syria. Like God's using this pagan guy. To win battles for an enemy of his own people. But then they scoop this girl up and carry her off. So God leads these soldiers to do these different things. One of the things is taking a girl captive from God's people. and But she's there for a purpose, right? Like here's her purpose. She's there in a sense for Naaman's own salvation. Which would in turn bring salvation back to Syria. You'll see this in a second. So I think... I think what shook me going through this this time, too, is thinking, what if you were this little girl? Like, this is all we really have. But What if you were this little girl? And we don't know how old she was. But you've been kidnapped. You've been made a slave. In a sense, she's, she's a slave, but she's probably living well. She's in a wealthy, man's wealthy, powerful man's house helping his wife. Um, what if What if you were that girl? How would you feel about your God? Because she came from Israel. But look what she does. She says to her mistress, "Would that my lord were the prophet, uh, were with the prophet who is in Samaria? That's the northern part of Israel. So Israel is what she's coming to. He would cure him of his leprosy. Don't imagine that. What does this tell you about this girl? For one, she's telling him, hey, where she's telling her, because she knows she'll tell her husband. Man, there's a prophet in Israel that can can make can make him better if he if he was there." What does that tell you about Naaman? Why would she care? She's a slave, right, in that house. But it's telling you she's probably been treated pretty good. It's telling you Naaman is probably a good guy in a sense. Because even this little girl wants him to be well. All right? So it says, uh, verse 4. So Naaman went in and told his lord, the king, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of earth. Hey, look, man, I heard this girl from Israel. She, I got th- this girl in my house. She told my wife. My wife told me this. I know it might be crazy, but this is what she said. Maybe this prophet in Israel can heal me. I don't know. But he goes and he says, Can I go? Because he's the commander of the army, so he can't just desert, can't just disappear. Could I go? And the king of Syria says, Go right now and I'll send a letter. I'll write a letter personally for you to the king of Israel. Yes, I mean, this dude's excited for him. Man, finally, you know, and, and I'm just being honest with you. This guy probably looked like a monster. Probably looks like a monster. I imagine he probably wears a turban or some kind of thing to cover as much of his body as he can cover. But he's also a soldier, so he's probably got on a lot of, uh you know, armament and all this kind of stuff. Chest plates and all this stuff and helmets and all. But I imagine he's covering himself, too, a lot because he probably looks pretty bad. That would be my guess. And so the king of Syria is saying, man, have you earned that? I, if, if, if I can do anything to help you with that, I will. Please go see this prophet in Israel and I'm going to write a letter to the king. So look what happens in verse five. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, uh, a talent's about 75 pounds, I think. So 75 pounds times 10 of silver. That's a lot. 6,000 shekels of gold. That's a little coin. 10 changes of clothing. So 10 wardrobe. Changes, new shoes, times ten, ladies, right there. Uh, And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, this is what the letter said. When this letter reaches you, remember this is from the king of Syria to the king of Israel. When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of leprosy. Verse 7 says, when the king of Israel read the letter, he ripped his clothes. Now, ripping your clothes it was a sign of one of two things. Either absolute anger or mourning. Sorrow. I think in this case it's both. I think he's afraid and upset and terrified and at the same time really mad. Why is he so mad? Look what he says. Am I God to kill and make alive That this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? See, now we have the full word. This is why I think it was that word. And also killing and make alive. The context is life and death. It's not just a skin issue. This is that disease. So he's saying, you know, only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. This guy's picking a fight. He knows I can't heal anybody of leprosy. How am I supposed to do that? That's never been done. And it never was done. It's never been done. It can't be done. Only God can do that. Point here. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Am I a God? Only God can do that. This guy wants to fight. This guy's trying to start a war. He knows I can't do it. And he knows that when I say I can't do it, he's going to assume I won't do it. And then he's wanting to fight. He says this is all about a fight. That's what that's what this dude's thinking. This is all about a fight. This is going to be a war. Am I God to save or heal you know, uh, we all drive past people on the freeway, on the edge of the freeway all the time, right? Freeway exits, I see them all the time. Um, I know, like Ed, I know it's got a heart for the homeless. I know s- several people do. Um, but I can tell you the truth, man. I-, I think sometimes how many, how many of us maybe treat hurting people this way. Like, am I God? Like, I can't, I can't turn their whole life around. I can't fix this whole problem. I can't change this whole thing. Or maybe we get defensive instead of trying to figure out ways to help them. Like, look, man, I work hard for what I got. I mean, I did everything I can do. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not God. Your problem's not my problem. I mean, I I, want to help you maybe, but at the same time, why don't you have a job? I see you here every day. You probably make more than I make. I see people hand you money all the time. You're probably skilled at this thing. Matter of fact, you may even have a home. You know, and, and in some cases they may. You know, uh, note the king, you know, it's not that the, right here when he's saying that the, the king says, I, I, am I God? He's right. He couldn't. He couldn't heal. He couldn't do that. But he knew Elijah was there. I mean, he could have done something. But instead, he goes straight to this defensive posture immediately. Like, straight, doesn't even attempt to help. He just assumes the worst and goes to this horrible place. And I feel like sometimes we tend to do that, too. We just assume the worst, and we go to a defensive place instead of thinking about helping. Somebody says, man, I need a place to stay for a couple of days. Not in my house. I already got kids. I already got, you know, I I only got one extra room. You know, we got, well, there's people going to be here, whether it's this, that, and the other thing. I'm not saying any of these things are wrong. I'm only saying we, I feel like... And maybe I'm speaking only for myself, but too often I tend to go straight to that defensive posture about something rather than, okay, what can I do to help? And and the truth is, again, the king's not wrong because only God can save. But here's the thing. God uses his people to do that. God is not going to shine a light out of the heavens and just provide that guy on the corner or that woman on the corner with everything they need. He is not just going to answer somebody's prayer with dropping something out of the sky necessarily it's going to be through his people and if you're one of his people then that's coming from you look at verse eight but when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes so so you know Naaman makes this journey he gives the letter he's getting settled and all this the king freaks out not right in front of Naaman he's probably somewhere now this is a day or so and he's freaking out And word gets to Elisha that, oh, my gosh, you're not going to believe what's going on. This guy came from Syria, tried to demand that the king uh, heal him of leprosy, blah, blah, blah. He says, he sent to the king and he said, why are you torn your clothes? What are you freaking out for? I like Elisha's style, man. Why are you freaking out? Stop it. Send him to me. Let him come to me now that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. I love this. Let him come to me so he can know not just that there's a prophet. What he means is that the word of God is in Israel. The word of God is in Israel. A man of God is in Israel. That's what he's trying to say. In fact, look at verse 8. There he says, Elisha, the man of God. In eight verses, you've got God mentioned three times here, by the way. A man used by God, a man claiming he's not God, and now a man of God. Three times in eight verses. If you haven't figured it out, it's a story of God, right? Even though we got heroes and villains and whatever, this still is the story of God. Look at verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you'll be clean. Or the word is pure, made whole. So here's the picture. Imagine it. Here is this major warlord who has conquered and conquered and conquered Not only is he powerful and feared, but he's frightening to look at. If you could define monster in a sense, this is the dude. This guy is, like I said, prop, I'm assuming now, I don't know this, but maybe all you can see is his eyes because of the wrap around him and the, the, all of the armor on him and the horses that are decked out. And you got this whole huge entourage of other horses that are carrying Pounds and pounds and pounds of riches and gold and clothing and whoever however many escorts with him that are helping him do it comes in this major parade up to a little house. And they go up to the door. They knock on the door. And here comes, not Elisha, a servant. Just a dude. Gehazi's his name. We'll see that in a second. Comes up to the door and he says, Okay, so he said, walk right over there to the river, uh dunk yourself seven times, and you'll be clean. Shut the door. I don't know how you'd react, but I know how I'd react, and I'm just a dude. I'm not anybody important, but man, I'd be like, are you joking right now? Are you jo- really joking right now? Like, I come all the, this is what, I, this is it, right? I don't even see the guy. I don't even get to see the guy. He's going to, mm, mm-hmm. he's going to disrespect me like that. He won't even stop long enough. After all I did, all this I brought, he won't even stop long enough. And then he's going to punk me, and tell me to go jump in a river. Man, and that's exactly what happens. Look what happens. Verse eleven. Naaman was angry, and he went away. That that word angry there. He's furious. He went away saying. I, look, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure, it, cure me of leprosy. Or not Abana and Farfar, far the rivers of Damascus. Damascus is the capital of Syria, where he came from. So he's saying, my own rivers. Aren't they better than all the waters of Israel? Could I have washed in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He's saying, man, I could have done that at home. There's water at home. Why, what is this? Clown wants me to get in his dirty river, and by the way i 've been to the Jordan. it is dirty, and it is gross in a lot of ways. He wants me to get in this dirty, filthy river. when I could have done that at home, I can wash off at home and you know what else he wanted, and I mean maybe i 'm going to throw a few stones here, but i 'm okay with that uh, i 'll tell you what else he wanted. He wanted a, a show he he wanted the the uh, you know the religious experience. I'm going to stop short of naming names, but y'all know what we're talking about. You can go on TV and watch this junk all the time. Hands being thrown around, people being flung in the floor. You know, he, he wanted the big experience, like the big ceremony and display and the massive power and the crazy awesome, you know, yelling and people falling out. I mean, he wanted this big, powerful display and everything. But God, that's what he expected. But what God expected was obedience. He wanted a display of power and everything else to just happen to him. Like just do some kind of crazy whatever. And but God wanted obedience. We we all want salvation on our terms, let's be honest. We all want salvation on our terms. That's what Adam and Eve started for us. You know? But that's never the way that it happens. Never the way that it happens. Sin, separation, death had entered the world through their desire to have it their own way. And we still doing it today. We still do it today. People still trying to do it that way. I'll come to church when I'm ready. You know? Hey, when I get my stuff cleaned up, you know, when I get some things fixed and figured out, then, then I'll come to church. Hey, I'll quit this and this and this and this, but you're not making me quit that. Not that. I mean, I'm good with that. Or I, I'd come to church if it just weren't so churchy. Or there weren't so many hypocrites. Or there was more of this. Or there was more of that. Or there was less of this. Or whatever. We all, we all want it on our own terms. And the church does the same thing. I mean, I'm not just, it's not just about that. The church does the same thing. How can we make it more relative? How can we change things so that people want to come? How can we talk less about things that offend people? How can we talk more about things that offend people so we get only the right people? You know, how, how can we cloak the gospel because we don't want to offend anybody and then let them just be surprised by it, you know, one day? Or, you know, tell everybody they're just going to be healthy and wealthy and rich and powerful if they'll just come follow Jesus. Get all you want to get, your best life now, right? It's, it's not in the Word, man. It's not in the Word. So, this is what he says. Go get in the river seven times. That river, not that river, that river, that river, that that river. Seven times. Verse 13. Excuse me. But his servants came near and said to him, so, so as he's walking off furious and mad, his servants come to him and they say, look, my father. Again, clearly, this is a good man in his heart. Because even his own servants are referring to him as a father. They obviously loved him. It, it is a great word the prophet's spoken to you. Will you not do it? He actually said, wash and you'll be clean. So they're saying two things here. They're saying, man, we got good news. Like he's going to help you. He said you'll be clean. Like he said you'll be clean. And they're also, the tone in which they're saying it is also, he, he, it's not that big a deal, is it? Like, is it really that big a deal? We come all this way, man. Are you really just going to walk away from such a simple thing? you really going to make that big a deal? It's, it's, we, we, we come all the way from Syria. We come all the way through the king. We come all the way to the door. We're standing by the river, man. Are you, are you really going to turn around and, and walk away from it? They obviously cared for him too. Verse 14. So he went down. He says, fine. So he goes down. He dips himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. So imagine this. He comes off his horse. He clicks off his helmet. He clicks off his uh, shoulder pads, shoulder stuff. Soul, shoulder pads. See, I've been in football way too long, man. This season dragging on. Click off his armor. Click off all of that stuff. Drop it. Dropping the next thing. Unwrapping his head. Probably revealing a pretty horrible, horrible thing. I don't know. Uh... Takes off whatever wrap he's got around his hands and stuff, pulls off his gloves, he's dropping all this. And I'm imagining he's probably cussing all the way. This is just me. But I'm I'm not going to cuss, don't worry. But I'm imagining he's probably angry, like, what am I, why am I, you know, whatever, fine. You want to humiliate me? Humiliate me. And everybody's watching, so it's making it even worse. His servants are seeing him do this, you know, which is making it even worse. And he's dropping it. He walks down into the water. He gets down to maybe waist deep and he drops himself and he comes up once. And there he is still looking filthy and disgusting, scary, frightening, drops himself, comes up a second time, still looking frightening, terrifying, probably getting more angry at how stupid he looks. Third time goes down, comes up, looks frightening, People on the shore are probably getting excited, but he's probably thinking this is ridiculous. This is so stupid. Nothing. It's just water. Fourth, fifth, sixth time goes down, comes up. This is so dumb. I'm done. No one more. goes down one more time, comes up and his skin is like a baby. Skin is like a baby. Look what it says. Look what it says. Verse 14, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Two different things. Two different things. His skin was made new like a baby. doesn't mean that he had baby soft skin necessarily. It just means it was pure. And he was clean. That's talking about something else. Naaman was healed by God alone. Remember, Elisha did not even come to the door. This is something only God did. What's the point of me pointing out that only God heals leprosy? Well, look at Mark. You don't have to turn to it. It'll be up there. Mark chapter 1, verse 40 says, A leper came to Jesus, imploring to Jesus, kneeling to Jesus, and said, If you will, you can make me clean. No one has ever been cleaned of leprosy except for Naaman. Nobody. And only God did that. And he says... Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Same word that was said to Naaman. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Point Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Second Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone is in Jesus, he is a new creation. Baby, baby skin, man, new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. You're clean. Think about this. Naaman's going to return to Syria. Naaman's going to go back to Syria. And and, and he is super popular there among the people and among the king. Everybody knows that. He is visibly changed by the God of Israel. Visibly, noticeably changed. Totally different because of the God of Israel, and he now has a testimony, and believe me, people are going to ask, and he's going to get to share the gospel. Verse 15, then he returned to the man of God, so he goes rushing out of the water, shouting, yelling, and he goes back to the door. He and everybody, they're all just celebrating and shouting, and they run back up to the door, and and this time he comes out, and he stands there, so this time Elisha comes out. And he said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. I love that, by the way. I like the way he words that. He doesn't just say, I know there is a God in Israel. He says, I know there is no God anywhere except here. So, except now present from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives, Elisha says this, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused now, if the story ended there, it'd be great, but it doesn't. And we're gonna get the last piece of this. It doesn't, all right. But he refuses the money. Instead, Eli or uh, Naaman takes some earth to build a, a a little temple for himself to pray to. That we we'll skip down to verse 19, and he goes home or starts heading home. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, verse 20 says, Gehazi, this is the servant who'd come to the door of elisha the man of god said see my master spared this name in the syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought as the lord lives i'll run after him and get something for him so he's kind of judging the moment he's going what is this man we living in this little bee house we don't know what it looked like but knowing he's a prophet is probably not much we're living in this little bee shack this busted up place out in the desert we've been eating whatever we can scratch out of the dirt We're doing the best. We're drinking that dirty Jordan water. You know, I don't know. But you earned this, dude. And that dude is blind, stinking rich. And he brought you stuff. You won't take it, I'll take it. That's basically what he says. If you won't take it, I'll take it. Look what he does. So Gehazi, verse 21, followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him and said, Is everything okay? Is everything okay? What, What happened? And he said, Yeah, everything's good. My master sent me to you to say, they look, they, uh, have, they have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. So straight lie. He says, hey, we got some guests that come in. They're important people. Could you give us something? Elisha wanted me to come get something for these couple of people. So he gives them a little bit. Uh, and then Naaman said... Be pleased to please take these least I can do at least take one hundred and fifty pounds of silver, at least two talents. And he urged him then uh, uh, them on. Excuse me. And he urged him and tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. So it's not only will I give them to you, but I'll let these guys carry them back because I don't know about y'all, but carrying seventy five pounds on your back for a minute is going to get old. Uh, and he, so he has them carry him. And when he came to the hill, so there's a hill looking down on the house, he took them from their hand and he put them in the house and he sent them in away and they departed. So at that point he says, all right, y'all go on, I got it from here. And he takes them in the house and he hides them somewhere. Don't know where. Now we're back to the religion show, right? Now we're back to buying the miracle. Now, now we're back to so in a seed to get your blessing. Now we got ways you can give back there. They got the black box. We got you can give online. Giving is important, giving is biblical, giving is necessary. It's in the word. It's an act of worship, but if it ever comes to a point where somebody is telling you that you are buying something from God, you lost your mind. Walk away from that in 2 seconds. And that's basically what's happening. The man of God here takes nothing from a wealthy God. I mean, a wealthy man takes nothing from even though he could have But he takes nothing from him. Meanwhile, this servant who is a thief. Why do I call him a thief? Because who did the miracle? God, right? Not Elisha and not him. God did the miracle. He's getting paid for it. This is what's happening. Elisha simply told Naaman here where to find it. And it was Naaman's faith that made him well. Listen to me. It was Naaman's faith that made him well. That's important because Jesus says that a lot. When you read the Gospels, as Jesus is healing people, he says your faith has made you well on more than one occasion. If you're a follower of Christ, you've got the same responsibility here. We tell the dying where to find life. We tell the cursed where to find healing. That's what we do. It's through God's word, and it becomes their opportunity to respond by faith. Two more verses here. Look at verse 25. So he goes in and he stands in front of Elisha, and Elisha says to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. Literally means uh, nowhere in particular is what it, what he's saying. And nowhere in particular. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when Sarah, when my daughter was a child, if I asked where she had been and her answer was nowhere in particular, it was very important that I found out right where she'd been. You know what I mean? Because there's no way she's answering that way unless there's trouble, right? So verse 26, But he said to him, Did not my heart go in other words, my heart broke when the man turned from his chariot to meet you. So he he knew what, he knew what happened. He knew what happened. Was it time to accept money and garments, olive orchards, vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants, female servants? God, he didn't get all that. It's just a euphemism for saying to be rich and wealth. Is it, is it a time to get rich and have all your dreams come true? Is that what this time is about? It wasn't that time. It was the time was about God's name being known through salvation to a pagan foreigner who would take it back to his nation. Not about taking profits for yourself in God's name. Verse 27. Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and you to your servants forever, your servants forever. Descendants, excuse me, forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. So you got two men here. One diseased on the outside seems clean on the inside. And then you got one who Seems clean on the outside, but diseased on the inside. Uh, one author put it like this. The punishment was a twist for Gehazi, who had gone to take something from Naaman, but what he received was Naaman's disease. Now the truth is, apart from the hand of God, neither one of them had any hope. Alright, th- th- this is the wrap-up. Apart from God, neither one of them had any hope. Neither one of them. Jesus frequently used the picture of a river or water to describe salvation through him. Let me give you two little things here and we'll pray. Verse 10 of, or chapter 4 of John in verse 10, Jesus answers this woman at a well. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you'd have asked him talking of himself and he himself, Jesus saying, I would give you living water is what he's saying. And the woman said to him, sir, you don't have anything to draw water with. The well is too deep. Where are you going to get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well to drink from. And his sons and his livestock, verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus built on that in John chapter 7 with his disciples in verse 37. He says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, talking about the uh, Passover, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anybody thirst, shouts this to the crowd, if anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers, rivers of living water. And he goes on to say, now this he said about the spirit. Uh so he's t- he's talking about the Holy Spirit when he's saying this that it is like a river that pours out of us. It's like a river that pours out of us this is a perfect picture of what happened with Naaman in, in this moment. Maybe you feel like um sickness of the world's all over you. I don't know. Maybe you feel like you walk around dirty. I don't know. Maybe you feel like death is chasing you. All you want to do is feel clean, all you want to do is feel alive, have hope of being alive maybe that 's where you are i don 't know. I can tell you this though, Jesus is the river. when you come to him, when you come to him, when you call on him to make you clean, all your sins are, are they 're not just polished they 're gone you don 't just come out with uh, you know healed up with some scar like they 're gone. you're made new I already said it Ephesians chapter 2 said you were dead in your trespasses and sins but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even while we were dead he made us alive by grace you've been saved that's the picture and it comes through faith it comes through faith Romans 10 9 says confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you'll be saved uh I'm going to invite you guys to come on back up. Look, if that's you today and you guys can stand with me, if that's you guys today, listen, man, it's an act of faith. It begins with telling him, making a confession. Just tell him in your own words right now, however you want. And look, if you want to come up here and pray with me, come on. I'll come pray with you anytime. You want to pray before you leave? Let's do it. If there's anything on your heart you want to pray about, let's do it. Um, I want to give you this little line. When I hear this story, I always think of a line from a hymn. And, and we're not singing it because I didn't tell her. But uh, I always think of this line from a hymn every time. And maybe you know the hymn. But it says, There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Lord, your word is so powerful. Thank you for this event. Thank you for this story. It's not just a... Uh, fable. Naaman existed. These people existed. These events occurred. Lord, thank you for using him, using his life. Thank you for the way, Lord, that you painted a picture of your son through this. All of these events pointing towards the promise that was fulfilled in Christ. Lord, I pray there's anybody today that needs that, that needs to feel whole, that needs to feel pure, Lord, that needs to feel clean, that they would confess that to you, Lord, if there are people here who are already following you, that are already living faithfully for you, but also feel dirty, feel clean, Lord. Renew their hearts. Lord, renew their hearts. Wash them clean too, Lord. Let them know that you love them, that you care for them, that you saved them, that they belong to you. Lord, your word is awesome. We love you and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.